On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I speak about why you should care about fewer things, about why buying things to impress other people will never have you win in life, and about the idea that if you actually believe that you can reach your goals, if you dumb them down and naively assume that you will get there, I think you have a far greater chance of actually getting there. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 167 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is a place where I share the lessons I wish I knew sooner. Think of this as me learning out loud, sometimes on my own and sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. Now, hello, it's been a while. Would you believe I actually sat down to record last week's episode in the exact spot I'm in right now, sat here, had the microphone, had the software open, had all my notes, was ready to go, and then realized I was missing one little adapter, a USB to USB-C adapter, because the latest MacBook Pros for the last, what, four years haven't had any USBs on, so I can't plug the microphone thing directly into the laptop. Couldn't do it. Had literally no way of making this microphone work with the laptop. And so for the second week in a row, I had to not do the podcast. The first week I just didn't, as in it was one of those weeks where I was too busy. But I sat down and I'm like, I'm not going to miss two in a row. I'm going to do it this week. I had it already. And then I couldn't do it. But I have ordered a new adapter from Amazon. That is how you can hear me this week. I have one. It's working. Hopefully all is good. Um, I hope you've been well since we last sat down to speak like this. It has been busy for me. I don't think there's been anything particularly out of the ordinary, I'm trying to think. It's been a while since we last spoke. But no, I think I've just been busy um, in the office quite a lot. Been doing lots of running, did a 12k run, did a 13k run. Uh, I ran finally my very first sub 25 minute 5k, which is nice. That has been the kind of short term goal that I've been moving towards for quite a while now. And I did it at a park run. Now, I don't know if you've encountered what park run is before because this was all new to me a few weeks ago. I've heard people say, oh, I'm going to a park run on Saturday and I'm like, cool, thinking it's this kind of one-off thing that maybe roams around or it happens every few months. Turns out park runs happen every single Saturday in hundreds of locations around the world. They are really well-organized 5k runs where you can walk, jog or run the route with staff on hand, with support, with this or that, and they are completely free. They happen every single weekend in hundreds of locations. This completely blew my mind. So I thought if ever there was a time that I was going to be able to, in the short term, get under that 25 minute 5k, bearing in mind my first 5k time was probably like 28 minutes um, and it's hovered anywhere from 26 minutes to 29 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on what day I do a run. I thought if ever I was going to be able to crack this 25 minute time, in the short term at least, it's going to be at a park run. It's going to be surrounded by, in the case of the one I did on Saturday, 320 other people who are all there to do their own thing at their own pace. So I thought I'm going to go to the park run. I'm going to tuck myself in just behind a group of people who look like they're aiming for 25 minutes, give or take, because there aren't any paces at the particular park run I went to. And that's what I did. And I struggled. The first, it's always the first 3K in any run are normally okay. But after that, that, that 3K barrier 
when I'm running at a faster pace. It's always difficult. And so I was struggling around 3K. I had to walk for a few seconds, which probably didn't help my time because I set off way too quick. And then for the last kind of kilometer and a half, I just dug in and um, managed to sprint to the finish line. I don't know who I thought I was, but there was this second wave of energy which came over me when I realized that actually it was still possible to get under 25 minutes, but that I'd have to shift it. And so I managed to, and I think my official park run time was 24 minutes and 39 seconds. My watch said slightly longer or shorter, I don't know, but based on their calibrated time, from the second they hit the stopwatch at the beginning to when I crossed the line as the 77th person, I think, 24 minutes, 39 seconds. I was really happy with that. And now this week, I am doing an entire week of no running whatsoever because I've probably done, oh, I don't know, maybe 80 kilometers, eight zero in the last month of running, which doesn't sound a lot to somebody who would be, you know, a professional runner, say, but given that I've never really done any sort of distances with my running training so far. Um, you know, I hovered around 5Ks for so long and I did that one 10K that was like a fairly rubbish attempt. Um, this month has been the only month that I've been doing 10, 12, 13K runs mixed in with 5K recovery runs mixed in with 5K trying to get under 25 minute runs. Like I've done a lot and I could feel it in my legs. Like I was hurting from places that I didn't know you could hurt from. And I guess based on everything I said previously about trying to listen to my body more this year, both in a running context, sure, but more generally, like, I don't know what my body was exactly telling me, but it was something along the lines of don't run for a while, please. Um, like my knees were sore, some like tendon in my leg, I, I, is it a tendon? I don't know, some part of like my inner thigh was very sore, very tight. And so I am four days in, five days into not running and I'm feeling a bit better. I'm managing to walk in a more convincing way now because I was just kind of hobbling for a few days after that fast 5k. I may do another park run back at home on Saturday, just as a little kind of getting back into things. Um, I won't be attempting any sort of fast time on that run. That would just be getting the distance in to begin again the following week. But yeah, running is going well. I think that's the only exciting thing to tell you from the last few weeks. Like I say, it really has just been sitting in the office, working away at things, trying desperately to get back onto doing this content. You may have seen a few reels or TikToks or shorts that I produced recently. It's a struggle, I'll be honest, to try and spin all of the plates I want to spin right now. But the opportunity of the midpoint of the year coming up has sharpened my focus in the same way that, you know, the, the beginning of the year sharpens everybody's focus. It's not going to be long until the end of the year now. I mean, it's, it's also worth saying that you can get an awful lot done in half a year. But if you're not sharpening your focus now at this point as to what you want to get done, I don't think you're going to have another good opportunity to do so. Um, so I really want to get on top of the content. If nothing else for myself, I know that sounds silly. You're here listening to this and I want it to be consistent for you. But also I get a lot of value from doing this. I say this all the time, right? Sitting down to do these kind of podcasts, thinking out loud is useful. And on the weeks when I don't do it, I notice. So here I am trying to be consistent and hopefully it shall continue into the second half of the year. Um, on the topic of content and actually, I guess, on the topic of running, I've now confirmed a date to record with the next guest who is very exciting. I mentioned him a few weeks ago. His name is Nick Butter and he is a runner, but 
in the most extreme sense of the word. So let me just pull up some of his stats of what he's done because I couldn't quite believe this when I came across him. So he has ran 828 marathons. He's raced in 89 ultra marathons. He's ran a marathon in all 196 countries in the world. He lived in a van whilst doing so for 580 days. He's met with and ran with 11 presidents around the world. He's raised over half a million pounds for charity in the process. He's got endless world records. He's done endless global challenges. And he has a really, really interesting story. I mean, if nothing else, just from the experience of putting his body and his mind through that in so many different environments and so many different ways for so long, right? He has ran over 45,000 miles. That's a huge distance. So I'm really excited to have him on. I think it's around this time next week I'm recording with him. So you'll probably hear that conversation in the middle of July, I guess. I don't know exactly when it'll be going out, but whenever it does, of course, I'll let you know about it. I'm very excited about that one. I would have had the chat, even if I don't happen to be trying to learn how to run. Like I didn't book him for the sake of speaking about running. I booked him because anybody who's able to, like I say, put their body and their mind through that kind of endless, repetitive, difficult strain definitely has some stories to share from it. And I feel like when I sit down to have that conversation, my job isn't to speak about running, although I'm sure I will. My job is to pull out what those lessons are so that all of us, whether or not we run, can learn something from him because I feel like he will have a lot to teach us. And then I made a set of notes this time last week when I sat down to record this episode, which didn't happen. And if you have seen any of my reels this week, I apologize because I used the notes from this podcast, which I couldn't record last week as the basis of the reels that I put out already. So you may have already heard me speak about each of these topics in, I guess, a small amount of detail, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. But my intention was always to deep dive on them in the podcast. And so that's what I'm going to do. There are three sets of notes here. And the first is about caring less. Now, like I said, in the real, if you've seen it, I care about basically nothing. And this has actually caused me problems in life before where I'll be having a conversation with somebody and it's like a one-sided argument where somebody's arguing at me and I just seem not to care. Or, you know, something will happen in my life that would typically affect somebody quite a lot. And I'm not like closed off to emotions. This isn't what I'm trying to say, but I feel like I'm just fairly pragmatic when it comes to dealing with things to the point where there are very few things that I actually genuinely care about or allow myself to care about because most things pass or most things can be dealt with fairly pragmatically and you can just move past them or whatever. And so in not caring about almost anything, although it, like I say, causes me issues where people feel like that's me showing a general lack of care, it's useful because it allows me to care meaningfully about the things which matter. Because think about it, right? Think about the last big thing that you truly cared about, whether it was something good happening in your life and you were working towards a big grand goal or trying to achieve something, whether it was something bad like a breakup or a family member being ill or dying or whatever it might be. Like when you truly care about something because you're compelled to do so by life, it's very easy to recognize that you can only care about so many things at once, right? It's why people say that when something goes wrong in their life, it quickly shifts the perspective of their life, right? They realize how trivial many of the things that they once worried about 
are. They realize that there are very few things in life that they really do care about and that most of it was just distraction. Most of it was just white noise because they hadn't truly gripped onto caring about something in the, the days, the weeks, the months, the years before that event, which forced them to sharpen their focus. Now, I think that if you take that concept, as I try to, and intentionally apply it to your life, proactively apply it to your life before life forces you to, and by that I mean realize that there are very few things going on in your life right now that are actually worthy of your care, that are actually worthy of your attention or the, the things that keep you up at night or the things you spend your time on, right? If you can focus in on that and be really selective about the things which you choose to care about, I feel like that's the way to be more effective in life and actually, dare I say, to live a happier life. Because if you're choosing to care about the things which actually matter to you, which like we just said, there can't be that many at any one time. You can't simultaneously care about 20 things at once. So if you remove 18 of them and you just have two things, for example, that you care really deeply about right now, it might be the first might be trying to build a relationship with somebody who you want to spend your life with. The second might be trying to progress your career because you realize if you can just focus for the next two to three years and tick the boxes you need to tick, you're going to enter this new level of financial freedom that will set you up for life, whatever it might be. They're very loose examples. But if you're caring just about those two things and all that comes along with them and you're choosing to block out the other distractions, right? Maybe I, I want to be a DJ. Don't care about that, right? I want to learn to ride a motorbike, but just don't care about that for now. Block out the things which would be nice to care about and focus on the things that you really, really care about, the things that you know will shape your life a few years from now, the things that you know you'll be thankful that you did now in a few years' time, I think that's the way to live. Because, you know, arguments happen, drama on TV happens, news stories happen, uh, exciting social events that you could probably go to happen. But if you're caring about all of those different things, about what that person said to you a few weeks ago about what happened on the TV the other day, about this tweet that you saw, about this hobby that you're not that serious about, but uh, you may as well try it every now and then because it's just, don't. Don't care about all of that. Try and care about very few things. I believe that is a really easy lever to pull to get far in life fast because the people you're up against in any area of life, whether it's business, whether it's work, whether it's sport, whether it's relationships, they're probably doing the opposite of what I'm suggesting you do. They're probably trying to spread themselves so thinly, caring about everything, and therefore making themselves less effective in any given thing, making themselves less effective in any given area of life. And therefore, your competitive advantage can be caring deeply about the very few things that you want to care about and not really caring about much else. Because frankly, most things aren't worth caring about. And that's a smooth segue into my second point that I wanted to speak about on last week's podcast, which then turned into a reel, which is not caring about the shit you buy. Um, you may have seen this video. It started off of a hook about why nobody cares about your Palm Angels t-shirt. And then I linked that to the idea that actually the, the Palm Angels t-shirt, the designer clothes, the wherever it is, is analogous for buying shit to try and impress other people, right? Because nobody really needs a 250 pound t-shirt with a massive logo on it. People who buy things to try and impress other people. Let's make a distinction here. Spend your money on what you want to. And if something makes you intrinsically happy, whether it's fashion or a car or a watch or trainers, that's completely fine. That's separate to this point. But people who go out of their way to buy things in the hope that it allows them to present themselves 
in a certain way in the hope that it changes the perception others have of them or their place in a social hierarchy. These people are actually losing in life twice. They're losing twice because firstly, 98% of people do not care about your possessions. This is something that I have grown to learn over the past five or six years of life as I zoom out and I look at my peer group, particularly, you know, the people I went to school with, you can kind of zoom out and see all of the different directions that these 200 or so people your age go in. And of course, as is the case with any school, I'm sure there's a group of people who went through the process of trying to look like they're part of Geordie Shaw on their Instagram, right? Do you know what I mean? They they kind of dress the part with their expensive clothes and their their like new teeth that they purchased and this and that. And clearly, dare I say, because I could be wrong, but clearly they're doing so in an attempt to present themselves to the world in a certain way. But I'm sure that when you look at posts from people like that, you don't really care what they're wearing, right? You don't really care what car they're in. You don't even notice, dare I say, what watch they're wearing, what trainers they're wearing, the club they're in, whether the vodka they're holding with that sparkler is Grey Goose or Smirnoff. You don't know. You don't care. It doesn't impact you. And so for the vast majority of people looking at the lifestyles of these people, they're just wasting their money because you're not paying attention anyway. But then there will be, I'm sure, a very small percentage of people who look at those who spend their money on possessions and things to try and impress other people and are actually impressed. And so you can say, well, they're winning, aren't they? If they're getting the attention they want, they're okay. I would argue no. I would argue that of the people who are paying attention, most of them probably aren't the kind of people you want to surround yourself with if they are actually impressed by possessions. If your friendship group, for example, is really impressed by the clothes you wear and the nightclubs you go to and the car you've just got, rather than the person you are and your goals and aspirations and your achievements and your personality and how you show up for them and just who you are and how you make them feel. If somebody is more interested in the stuff you buy than the person you are, I would argue that you're also not winning there either. You're attracting the wrong kind of people who probably don't have the best set of values. And so anybody who is buying shit to try and impress other people is losing twice. And the fact that you're here listening to this podcast means that this isn't you, right? I can almost guarantee that everybody listening to this podcast knows themselves well enough to know that they don't need to go and buy expensive things to present themselves to the world in a certain way to be accepted, right? That's like a prerequisite of being here, I'm sure. However, I still think it's worth discussing. I think it's worth pondering because we live in a world where the absolute outliers float to the very top of social consciousness, which means that we live in a world where the Instagram posts that you see in the Discover section, the the tweets from the econ bros that you see on Twitter, the, I don't know, the TikToks that you see are from people who have lots of nice possessions. And so many people in society are tricked into believing that for them to reach the, the lifestyle that these people live, for them to be as happy as they are, because I'm sure they're all very happy, they need to be buying this shit. And once they buy the stuff, they're playing the role of being the person that they want people to perceive them to be. It's a losing game. I really don't know any way that you can play that game and win. And then this third point came from such a random place to the point where I'm almost hesitant talking about it because it, it feels weird to explain it this way, but hear me out, right? So the general point here is that the second you actualize your achievements, you realize that you were looking at them wrong all along and that if you believe that your goals in life are 
huge. If you genuinely believe that the goals that you have are going to be difficult to get to, you're going to make it more difficult for yourself to get there. Now, the reason I say I'm hesitant is this came from such a silly place. And I could even be wrong about the look that I got right. I don't know what was going on in this guy's head, but I pulled up the other day. I was out to get lunch. I pulled up the other day into a car park and I saw a guy walking probably like uh, 22 years old. So like a little bit younger than me. And I got out of my car and he gave me this look, not least I'm sure because I look about fucking 16. He gave me this look as if to be like, how the fuck are you in that car? I don't think my car is particularly flashy, but that was the kind of the vibe I got from his look. And what I realized in that moment, and this is why I want to speak about it, is I probably spent most of my adult life looking at people in real life and online with that exact paradigm in as much as if anybody had anything remotely nice, if anybody was achieving something interesting, if anybody was out there building something, you know, growing a business, a personal brand, subscribers on YouTube, a following, whatever it might be, I would look at them and be like, that's crazy. How on earth do you do that? I couldn't possibly do that. How could I do that? It's way too complicated. And I feel like actually I probably wasted so many years of my early 20s spinning my wheels, no pun intended because I didn't drive back then, spinning my wheels because I assumed that any sort of thing or achievement was incredibly difficult, right? And I think there's something in that. If you have a set of goals and you look at them as if they're impossible or nearly impossible for you to reach, right? If they are stretch goals in your head, if if buying a house one day is like, okay, when I've done that, I've made it. If getting a nice car is like, I'm going to have to do a lot to get there, but one day I'll be able to get there. If I don't know, uh, becoming somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend, if one day launching that business, if gaining a following on the internet is your thing and you're like, that will be the moment when I'm happy. I need to move hell and earth to get there. And you genuinely believe that it will be difficult. And I don't mean this to sound like the secret way you can just manifest things because like you obviously have to do the work to get there. But if you believe that it will be difficult, if you tell yourself the story that is very unlikely that you'll get there and it will take an incredibly long time, you're probably, I think, going to approach it in the wrong way. You're probably going to overcomplicate it. You're probably going to add more gravity to the situation than is necessary and in doing so trip yourself up. And I feel like I'm qualified to say that because I did that in so many ways in life including, by the way, with even having a car. I mean, look, I didn't drive until, what, two and a half years ago, less than three years ago, I didn't drive. And, you know, in the years leading up to even bothering booking driving lessons, there was that very real paradigm of like, there's no point me doing lessons because if I can eventually afford to do the lessons and then pass, like, how would I afford to buy a car? And how would I afford when I have that car to insure it at my age with no driving experience? And then how will I afford the tax on it and the the fuel every week and this and that? And I'm not saying that you can just wish into existence buying a car or a house and it'll happen. But what I am saying is if you're telling yourself that your achievements or your would-be achievements are incredibly difficult, you're going to tell yourself a certain story. Whereas if you just reverse engineer whatever it is you want to get, and break it down into component pieces and ask yourself questions like, how can I make this easier? How can I get to this thing sooner? Who do I know? Or who can I reach out to? Who can make this easier for me? Who's 
already been there and done that, right? It's what Paul Moore spoke about on this podcast a few months back, the idea of who, not how. When you're faced with a challenge, don't say, how can I do this? Say, who do I know? Who can I reach out to? Who has already done this? Who can help me get there? And I do think there is something to be said about the idea that if you believe that what you're aiming for is achievable, and if you ask yourself questions about how you can increase your chances of getting there, how you can make it more achievable, how you can not look at those who have the thing or the business or the person that you want as some sort of other being to you, like we've spoken about before, right? Your idols are no different to you. They've just been doing the thing more consistently and for longer than you have so far. If you can see everybody as on a level with you and your abilities either already on their level or understand that you can get to their level, I just think it makes it more likely. I'm not saying it's a, a silver bullet. I'm not saying it's some sort of manifestation nonsense. I'm just saying that if you approach situations as if they're nearly impossible, like I have so many times in life with so many things, that story that you tell yourself plants so many excuses. It creates so many complications. It makes you approach things in such a self-limiting way. Whereas if you can just believe that you can do the things, even if you're being naive, as I had to be so many times, right? Had to be so naive that like the, I spoke towards the, the first few episodes of this podcast a few years back about the fact that like less than 10 years ago, we were in a situation as a family where there was no food in the fridge. There was no food in the freezer. And now I'm currently sat in our office with six desks around me with employees looking out at my nice car with my iPhone and my this and that. And like none of this was easy per se, but none of it was as alien as I thought it was in that situation. And I don't mean to sound tone deaf there. I'm not saying if, you, if you're in a difficult situation, one day you can have an iPhone. Like that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is I was absolutely convinced that I could never get anywhere near where I wanted to get. By the way, I'm not there yet, but I could never get anywhere near where I wanted to get because I was somehow different. Because my set of circumstances was somehow more challenging than most people's or whatever it might be. And all of those things can be true. And yet simultaneously, you can believe in your head that you can get there. And I feel like it is that belief. It's that self-belief in yourself that eventually, no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, you can actually get to your goals. So they're worth pursuing because they're likely because you think you can do them. I honestly think if nothing else, that is the single biggest factor which will decide or not whether you make it. So there we go. That was a random one, wasn't it? Um, that is everything for this week. Apologies, as always, for the couple of weeks of missing this podcast. I will at some point get back to doing it consistently. It's difficult. I don't need to explain again because you're probably bored of me explaining, but I will get there. This will eventually be very regular and very predictable like it used to be. But I apologize for the last few weeks. I apologize for the first half of this year in some way because it's been messy. But like I say, refocusing on the second half of the year. And hopefully that means that I can be that bit more consistent. But in the meantime, thank you as always for listening. I hope you have a good week and hopefully I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 168 of Life and Lessons. See you then.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.